Hey, man, we got an exciting text in front of us now, so I want to get right to this. So let's go ahead and open up your Bibles to John 17. We get to hear the words of Jesus Christ talking to the Father through the Holy Spirit in prayer. So let's get straight to it and hear what Jesus had to say to the Father before he went out and was betrayed. Chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, all, they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me and I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. As the word of God says about Jesus and his prayer to the Father. I was reading this article recently about Kobe Bryant. And in the peak of his career, uh, a reporter asked, you know, how did you develop your skill set? And he said to the reporter, honestly, I stole it from most of the greatest of all time. And you know what? When he was 10 years old, he lived in Italy. His father played professional basketball, and his grandfather would send him tapes. Most people would send, you know, their grandkids food and candy and all that. He sent his grandson tapes. He sent him tapes of the old basketball games of some of the greatest players. And so Kobe would take these tapes, and he would study them. He would devour them. He would find out everything that he could about these basketball players that were called the greats of the NBA. And so that's where he got a lot of his moves. And so you see, when he, he learned how to create space like Oscar Robinson, he learned how to do a pull-up jump shot like Jerry West. He learned how to post up and have post moves like Hakeem Olajuwon. He learned how to have a wicked, unstoppable fadeaway like Michael Jordan. And he learned how to have this tenacity like Jordan had as well. All these great players, Kobe said he got it because he studied them. And we recognize Kobe as one of the greats of the NBA that ever played the game. When we think about something as Christians, uh, we have more than just the, the arguably the greatest player in the NBA. We get to study the word of the greatest human being to ever walk the face of this earth in Jesus Christ. We get to study his life and all that he did through the word of God. We also, in our passage in front of us, get to study exactly how he prayed so that like Kobe did with the greatest in basketball, we can emulate a lot of the same things that Jesus prayed in our own prayer life. Because let's face it, here's the facts. When we talk about our prayer life, all of us know we should pray. But when we think about our own prayer life, we all have these peaks and valleys. And a lot of times we get in these, pray, these, these, these valleys of our prayer life where we struggle. We struggle with, to know what to pray for. We, we're, we're grasping for things to pray for. We can sit on our knee or be on our knees and sit there and pray and have moments of silence because we can't think of anything to pray for. We can be sitting in the car thinking about our prayer life and, and praying for something, and then five, ten seconds later, you forgot you were even praying. You're on to the next thing. Or you sit there at your bedside before you go to bed, and you think about all the things you want to pray for, and you fall asleep while you're praying. All of these things happen to all of us, and the reason they happen to all of us is because a lot of the times we don't know what to pray for. We know there's a lot of things out there, but we become overwhelmed with so many things we should pray for that we don't pray for anything. And it becomes a lot of silence. Well, Jesus gives us right here in John 17 his prayer to the Father, that he's filled with the Spirit, that same Spirit that I talked about last week that fills all of us as believers of Jesus Christ. The same Spirit is leading him and giving him the words to say and giving him the guidance to pray to the Father to make sure that he is aligned with the Father's will, and we have that same Spirit in, within us. And so, as, as I preach here tonight, if you never again want to have another dull prayer life, 
If you always want to know how to have an enriched prayer life, how to have a, a, a full prayer life, then we need to take a look at exactly how Jesus prayed. Because he had the best prayer life. He had the most effective prayer life. He had the best relationship with the Father because he and the Father were one. And so we can take a look at our prayer life and take a look at God's word that is inspired by the Holy Spirit praying to the Father. And we can model our prayer life exactly how Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17. So I want to go ahead and get this down right now. And it's our one point for the evening. But don't worry, that doesn't mean you're going to get out early because I got six sub points for you. But our one point covers the entire chapter. And it is this. It is be more Christ-like by praying exactly like Christ. You and I need to be more Christ-like. If that's our goal, if that's why we're here in the flesh still and not in heaven with Jesus, because our goal is to glorify Christ with our life and we want to be more Christ-like in all that we do, then we need to start praying like Christ prayed. Praying like Christ prayed. And here's what I want to do with this, this message tonight is I want to make six observations to be able to enrich your prayer life, for you to be able to look at it and say, if I ever get to a moment where my prayer life feels dull, I know exactly where to go back to, to get the foundation to make sure that my prayer life stays at a high level at all times, because we're talking to God the Father, y'all. So this is where we're going to start in our passage, starting with verse 1, going back to the top. I want you just to focus on in the middle of the verse, it says, Father, as he starts, the hour has come. The hour has come. And so that, that, that part of the verse is significant because most of the whole entire book of John, he keeps talking about the hour has not yet come. When he was in the, at the wedding, he told his mother, mother, my, my, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, he kept saying, my hour has not yet come. The time has not yet come. But then now Jesus finally starts off the priest, high priestly prayer and says, Father, the hour has come. So we don't have to wait any longer about what's about to happen. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Right? Sounds like a tongue twister there. But what Jesus is saying is glorify me as I prepare to go to the cross. God, glorify me. Give me the strength. Make your revelation come out in me. I want you to be glorified through my life, through my death on the cross. I want you to be glorified through me. Right? Verses 2 and 3. And so Jesus was, was, was sent on this mission. Right? throughout life, throughout. He was born of a virgin, right? He lived this perfect life. He was sent on this mission ultimately to go to the cross and to die. He was sent on this mission to die and he did it perfectly, perfectly. And so he's saying, Father, glorify me, right? So that I may glorify you. That shows that deity, right? That he has that equalness with the Father because in the book of Isaiah, God tells us that no one should have my glory, but Jesus is saying, glorify me because he is even with the Father. He is equal with the Father. And so as we think about things that we need to be praying for, here's letter A for us. One thing that we need to be praying for is thanksgiving regarding Jesus' completed work on earth. Thanksgiving regarding Jesus' completed work on earth. Right? At the end of that, at the end of that section, it says verse, in verse 4, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, right? He accomplished the work. So God sent him from heaven down to the earth to be born of a virgin, to live the perfect life that none of us can live. 
to die on the cross for all of our sins, but not just to die, but to be resurrected, to defeat death so that none of us can be plagued by death, so that none of us will have the sting of death, that we can continue to live hopeful. But that's not it. That's not it, guys. It doesn't end there because what we talked about last week, we can't talk about the gospel without remembering what? That A word was what? You swing and a miss. Ascension, right? Ascension. Did we talk about the ascension, right? Jesus must go up so the Holy Spirit can come down. So we can't forget about that ascension, right? That ascension. Jesus didn't just raise from the, from the dead and didn't walk around and continue to walk around after 40 days. He was lifted up, right? That Acts chapter 1. He was lifted up and he was ascended so the Holy Spirit may come down, right? But all that's going back to is Jesus saying, glorify me, Father, because in John 19.30, he says this when he was on the cross, it is finished, to telestai, right? It is finished. The job is done. It is completed. The, thing, the mission that you sent me for is now done, and I may be resurrected after that and ascended to heaven. Verse 5, he says, the glory, right? And now, Father, glorify me and in your presence. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, right? That takes us back to John 1, 1, 2, right? At the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, right? He was with God. And so if you take a look at that picture, right? Jesus was with God. The Holy Spirit is there. The triune God is there at the very beginning. Jesus gets sent down. He empties himself, right? Comes down to earth as a human being, 100% man, 100% God. He lives this life and then he dies, he resurrects, he ascends, and now he's back up with the Father. So he's saying, Father, glorify me. Bring me back up to where I was at the very beginning, when this all started, that's where he was with the Father. And so that's why in John 8, 58, when he's talking to the Jews that are constantly trying to pester him and badger him into calling him out and saying, you're blaspheming and all this stuff, he can say to them, before Abraham was, I am, right? I am. I am because he was there from the beginning, right? And so thanking Jesus about his completed work on earth should do three things for us primarily. It should humble us, one, to realize that, look, we brought nothing to the table, y'all. Nothing to the table, right? We're not good. We're filthy rags at best, right? Jesus paid it all, right? He did everything for us. It should humble us. Number two, it keeps our eyes on the mission, when we start to pray and give thanksgiving to Jesus for what he did, his completed work, it reminds us that God has an ultimate mission for Jesus. God has an ultimate mission for all of us as believers of Jesus Christ. There's a mission there. And so that keeps our mind focused on that when we give thanksgiving to Jesus. It also gives us peace in all circumstances. We talked about that last week. He has overcome the world, right? So there's nothing that this world can do because Jesus has already won. He's already victorious. Somebody's got to say Amen. Amen. He's already victorious on that, right? But Jesus could have stopped his prayer right then and there, right? And that would have been sufficient. He could have just said, Father, glorify me. Glorify me. And, and, and focused on himself the whole time. But I love how he broke down his prayer because the first part of the prayer, that chapters 1 through 5, he's focusing on himself, right? Jesus can do that. He's focusing on himself when he's talking, about, talking to the Father. But then for the rest of the 21 verses, He's praying for others, specifically the followers of him, followers of Jesus Christ. He prays for them for the rest of the passage, right? He takes a chunk and prays for those that are there, the apostles, the current disciples that are there with him. And then the last part of the section, he prays for the future disciples to come, 
That's you and I. Jesus is praying for us right when we read John 17. And so that should bring us great joy that Jesus has us in mind when he's praying that. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. 21 verses praying for others. Not himself, for others. And so when we think about our own prayer life, how much should we be praying for others? How much should we get the focus off of ourselves? Because guess what? We should pray for ourselves. No doubt about that. You should pray for ourselves. But Ephesians 6, 18 tells us this. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. All the saints. So God's word is saying we have a responsibility as believers not to just pray for ourselves, not to just line our prayer up, prayer list up with supplication and, and thanksgiving and confessions for ourselves. Those are good. Those are necessary. But we have a responsibility to pray for all the saints. All the saints. That means your brothers sitting around the table right now. That means people that are out there on the, the mission field right now. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to be praying for them. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Going back to our passage, it says, I have manifested, right, to, to show or to, I have made known your name to the people whom you gave me, right? That's the predestination right there. Whom you gave me. God the Father gave Jesus specific people. It wasn't like he just said, hey, everybody, cast this net wide. No, he said, the, the people that you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They've been faithful, right? Now they know that everything that you have given to me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I, come, I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for, for them, those people, them, the ones that God the Father had sent Jesus. Again, he go, keeps going on. I am not praying for the whole world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours, right? And so there's that inclusiveness, right? Right? He, 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 he or excuse me, exclusive. No, inclusive, inclusive, inclusivity, um, right? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tight knit. It's a group of people. It's just not this wide net where everybody can get in, right? He's praying for specific people. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I have glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Right? If you have given me. Letter B, I want you to write it down this way. We need to pray for faithfulness of believers. Faithfulness of believers. 1 John 2, 16, you can write that down as well. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's from the world, right? We, 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 need, to be, we need to be praying for faithfulness of believers because guess what? We all live in this world. And guess what this world is trying to do? It's trying to suffocate us, right, as Christians, Right, it, it, I talked about that last week. It does not want to hear the name of Jesus Christ. If it can do anything, it wants everybody to shut up about Jesus Christ, right? Because the, the Holy Spirit convicts them. There's that conviction of sin. There's conviction that a life that doesn't have Jesus Christ ends in judgment, right? And so if we can get rid of Jesus Christ, we don't have to hear about that, then 
we would all be okay, right? That's what the world is saying. We would all be just fine. We would do well without it. But that's not true. We know that's not true. And so the world is continuously trying to suffocate Christians, trying to suppress the, new, the good news of Jesus Christ because they don't want to hear it, right? And it, it, it's just too easy for all of us to get off track. If we're not focused on God's word, if we're not praying about God's word, if we're not guarding ourselves, as Ephesians 6 says, if we're not armoring ourselves up, it's way too easy for all of us to get off track. And so we need to be constantly praying for the faithfulness of believers. We see that in the the parable of the the sower or or the seeds, right? You throw seeds among the thorns, right? They, They hear the word. They hear the word, right? They cherish the word at first, but what happens? They get They get choked. Right? They get choked out, and then all of a sudden the, the word is gone. They're no longer following the word because they've been choked out by the cares and the desires of the world. We need to be praying for believers, and believers at large. We need to be praying for our church, not just Compass Bible Church, but we need to be praying for all the faithful churches across the world because they're under attack. Every single faithful church is under attack, all right? Every one of them. And so you and I have a responsibility that we need to be praying for those churches. We need to be praying that God would light more lampstands so that more people that haven't heard the word of Jesus Christ can hear the gospel, the good news, and have eternal life. Pray for our church. Pray for other churches to be faithful, remain faithful when there's so much temptation out there to water it down just a little bit. Just a little bit. Because if you water it down just a little bit, they'll leave you alone. The more you water it down, the more you'll be left alone. The more you water it down, the more your seats might be filled. The more you water it down, the more money your church might have. There's a lot of temptations, y'all. A lot of temptations. And we need to be praying for the faithfulness of believers to stay to preach the word of God as it is written in the word of God. Let's pick it up back in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. So that was supposed to happen, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that you may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because you are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but just that that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So let us see. I want you to write it down like this. We need to be praying for protection of believers. Protection of believers. A couple verses up from that Ephesians 6 passage, Ephesians 6, 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The same evil one that Jesus was talking about in his prayer, right? Guys, realize, I hope you know this, but this should be a, a constant reminder to yourself. Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy you. I, I take you out. And here's the thing that we, that we oftentimes don't realize. 
We oftentimes think about Satan as this big Godzilla, right? This, this big mass destruction, this guy that's causing complete havoc. Yeah, he does that, but that's not his greatest work. His greatest work is just being subtle. His greatest work is having you forget about him. His greatest work is getting you just slightly off track, where then you miss it by a mile. That's his greatest work. His greatest work is it comes in the things that you listen to. When you think, I, I mean, it, it's not ideal, but it's not that bad. His greatest work comes in the things that you read, right? The, the social media stuff, the Twitter stuff, the, the, the newspaper articles, the magazines, the, all these things that you read that you wouldn't show everybody else, right? His greatest work comes in things that you listen to. Music that you listen to, movies that you watch, the things that fill your mind. That's, that's his greatest work because it starts to get you off track, right? His greatest work happens within your home. His greatest work is when you don't invest in your kids because, hey, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Had a hard day at work and now you got the kids at home and you want me to, to, to muster up more energy to play with? I, I'll do it tomorrow. Matter of fact, I'll do it next week. No, I'll do it in the summer when the summer comes. You know what? I'll do it when they're a little bit older and then they're gone out of the house. His greatest work comes when you don't invest in your marriage. When you put everything before your wife and you think that because you work hard, because you throw some money at her, that that's sufficient because you're providing. And then before you know it, your marriage is in shambles and you're trying to put pieces together. That's his greatest work, for you to get your eyes off the target just for a little bit so that he can complete a, create a big wedge that happens before you even know it. Before you even know it. That's his greatest work. So here's what we need to be doing. We need to be praying for the men that are around you, right? Pray for those men that are sitting around you right now. Because guess what? All of those things I just listed off, those are temptations for every single one of us. Every single one of us. And you need to be praying for those men around you, those men that God sovereignly placed in your life, in your small group, so that you would pray for all the saints, starting with the ones that you spend time with every single week. Pray for the men that are around you. While I'm up here, while I'm talking, pray for your pastors. We need it. Because guess what? You know what Satan would like to do? Knock off a pastor or two, right? That creates headlines. That creates whirlwinds, right? That, that shakes things up when you can say a church leader has fallen, right? We need your prayers. Pray for us. Because all those temptations that I just said, it, it, it's rampant. It's, it's high and it's hard. So be praying for your pastors as well. Back in our passage, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate my life that they may be sanctified in truth. So that, that, that word consecrate, right? He, he set apart. Think about the Old Testament when you have the animals, right? When you have the animals that's about to be sacrificed, they're set apart to be sacrificed, right? Set apart 
to be used as a, a sin offering, right? A guilt offering. Set apart. That's what the animals were. That's what Jesus is doing. He's setting himself apart to go to the cross. He's going to consecrate himself so that he can be glorified in us. And so that's what he's saying there is he's setting apart himself, right? We are being set apart to do God's work, right? Set apart from the rest of the world. Set apart for God's mission. That's letter D for us this evening. Pray for believers set apart for God's mission. Pray for the believers that are set apart for God's mission. And here, here's what I want to, to make sure that we understand while, we, while, while I'm saying that. We're all on mission, right? Sometimes we often, often think, like, hey, missionaries, overseas. No, we're all on mission. When we think about mission is the... the the, the work of Jesus Christ, right? He was on mission. The, our mission is to glorify God in all that we do. Our mission is to get the, the word of God out to the ends of the earth. That is our mission. As believers, we are all on mission. No exceptions, each and every one of us. But for this sake, I want to focus it down on actual missionaries, right? I want us to think about missionaries in specific, and add that to our prayer list. Being praying for believers that are set apart for God's mission, those that are giving their life to go overseas to, to, to sacrifice all the things that they could have had here, a pastoral job. They could have had a regular job. They could have had all this, but they say, I'm going to go overseas because there's someone that has not heard the gospel. There's someone that has not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. There's someone that has not had the opportunity to hear what can give them eternal life. And I want to go over and share that in places that have not been reached this yet. We need to be praying for those. And there are tons of those. And you talk about somebody that's just right there in the midst of the fire, those are missionaries overseas, right? You read some of the stories. You read some of the biographies. You read some of the things that are happening, the articles that are happening over there. Guys, they need our prayers. They need our prayers. And the only way we can know how to pray for them is if we are studying the things that are happening well beyond Orange County. If we're studying the things that are happening well beyond Compass Bible Church because they need our prayers. And we are to pray for all the saints, all the saints, including those. And so praying for missionaries overseas. I mean, there, there's a, a ton of resources that we can go to to be praying for them, right? Voice of the Martyrs is a great website. Right? They'll, they'll send you a, a magazine every month, and it gives you story after story about people that are being persecuted for the faith. And guess what? They're not backing down. They're willing to put their life on the line for Jesus Christ because they know ultimately that Jesus is victorious overall. And so they're willing to put their life on the line. The Joshua Project is another one. Joshua Project constantly gives you uh, locations of people groups that are unreached, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so being able to pray for them, you praying for your missions that we support here at Compass Bible Church, CIFAR, the Centers for uh, uh, Apologetics Research, right? You have that that's going on that equips some of these pastors that are over in Africa so that they are not being duped by these guys that are coming in trying to dismantle the church and cause divisions and take over the church, right? They're being equipped by, for that. FEBC, Far East Broadcasting, right? Being able to take sermons from Pastor Mike and send them way out to the Far East, places that they barely even have radio signals, right? They're working tirelessly trying to get communication, trying to get the gospel out there, trying to get good preaching out there that they can't hear, All right, We got other mission, missionaries, the Zellers, right, that are over in Dubai, the Zangs that are over in, in East Asia, the, our Guatemala church, all of those that we have said we are 
praying for you and we want to help you financially. All of those missionaries that we should be praying for. And guess what? Every Monday night, the missions team, they meet over here in the compass room and they pray from six, starting at 630. And so I encourage you, you all to, to go one night. You learn more about these missionaries that we support. You learn what they're going through and you learn how you can be praying for them. And you get to pray amongst other believers. They're meeting there every Monday night at 630 in the compass room, praying for those that are in the fire right now, right? They're in the heat of it. They need our prayers and support. I'm going to go ahead and give you letter E because I'm going to jump around a little bit with it. But letter E is we need to pray for the unity of believers. Be praying for the unity of believers. Jesus talks a little bit about this starting in the second part of verse 11. He says that they may be one even as we are one. And then he jumps down to verse 20 and he talks about this. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me, love them, even as you love me. Then jump down to verse 25 and 26. It says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Right? And so there's that, that unity of believers. And what I alluded to that at the beginning is he starts off this, this passage or this section saying, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me. That's us. Right? That's, that's, that's you and I. Right? We get to read about Jesus praying to the Father, and he's praying for every one of you saying those that will hear the word directly from the apostles or indirectly through time that will hear the word of God and respond to it. So if you responded to it, Jesus is talking about you right here in this passage. Unity amongst them, right? Being one with the Father, being one with the Son. Right? Last week, again, we talked about the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is allows us to glorify Christ. It allows us to, 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 to constantly navigate towards Christ and his works and continue the work that he did to the ends of the earth because we're all indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which Christ was doing the work of the Father. And so you get the Father's work in Christ, in Christ, in us, through the Spirit. We're all united. We're all in one. But it's not that easy here on this earth because there's temptation. There's an enemy that's working to disrupt that that's going on, right? But and it's, a, it's, it's a big problem, again, the division that happened within the church. And it's something that constantly needs to be prayed about within believers because there are faithful believers that are aligned with the primary, right? They're aligned with the primary teachings of Jesus Christ, right? We don't have any primary doctrinal issues, but then we argue and we separate and we fight over secondary or tertiary issues that shouldn't be, right? There are going to be things that we don't agree upon because God's word, he doesn't give us everything that we need to know, right? Some things are a mystery to us because in our finite mind, we can't understand God fully. And so that's okay. 
And so we need to understand that there will be divisions. It shouldn't call, excuse me, there will be some, some disagreements with secondary tertiary issues. As long as we agree with the first primary thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and that he was resurrected and we must put our faith in him in order to receive eternal life and repent from our sins, which we all have, we, 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 can, we can sit at the same tables, right? But then we also have to watch out for these type of all-inclusive movements as well. Because that's heretical if we pursue that, right? Those movements that just say, hey, if you profess to be a Christian, then hey, let's just forget everything else. Let's just agree on something that within Christianity and let's just all get along, right? There's, there, there's movements. There's a movement called John 17 movement, right? They, they take Protestant Christians and they, 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 they put them with Catholics and say, hey, we, we kind of all read the same Bible. We kind of got most of the stuff uh, aligned together. Let's just all get along, right? That doesn't work. Because that is, that, is, that is manifested, that is manufactured, I should say, by humans. That's humans saying, hey, let, let's just, you and I just get along. Let's be on the same page. And th- that makes us all one. That doesn't make us all one. The, the thing that makes us all one is having the Holy Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit within us as believers. Because then when we have the Holy Spirit, now we have God's help in being one. It doesn't happen through our own manufacturing design as humans. I don't care how you try to put it. We're not capable of it. And so understanding that there needs to be unity amongst believers that we constantly need to pray for. The solution is the gospel. The solution is being in Christ. The solution is having the Holy Spirit within you to help guide you towards Christ, to be your helper, as it says in John 16. Last verse that we have lingering there is verse 24. Father, I desire that Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. A few years ago, we took uh, the kids on a, a vacation. And it was awesome. We ended up taking them to this campground that had like these cabins. And um, basically, you send these families out there and it's... it's they got pools everywhere. They got all kind of amenities for the kids. It's just a big, fun playground, and adults can be there as well and have a good time. Uh, it was awesome. But, but leading up to that, I told the kids that we were going there, and they were so stoked about it that they were literally watching the YouTube um, commercial about it probably every day, two weeks leading up until the actual vacation. And I mean, they were getting all giddy about this YouTube video. Like, oh man, look at it. Look, I'm going to go down this slide, right? I'm going to jump in the pool like this. I'm going to jump in. And all I could think to myself is, just, just, if you're that excited about on, watching it on screen, just wait till you get there. I mean, wait till you get there and it's going to blow your mind, right? But that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, it was exciting to have me on earth. I, I was doing miracles. You got, to, you got to see me in the flesh, but, 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 but just wait till you get there. Just wait till you come where, where I reign for eternity. Just wait till you see that. That's what he's saying. And Christ wants to, he, he's praying for us to see him in his glory. Right? When he was here on earth, that, that was a beautiful thing. That was a great thing. But his glory, his real glory that he wants us to see, that he wants all the believers to, to experience for eternity is up there in heaven. And he's praying for us to get there. And so letter F We need to pray for believers to focus on that future dwelling with Christ. Focus on that future dwelling with Christ. Because that day will come where we will spend eternity with Christ. And we will see him in his full glory. 
full glory. And some of you that got aches and pains and, and beat up joints out there, look, you, you'll have a glorified body too. You won't ache. You won't have pain anymore. You won't have any of that stuff. You'll have a glorified body. But most more impressive than that is seeing Jesus in his full glory and spending eternity with him. And he's praying for us on that. Second Timothy 2, 11, 12 says, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. At Colossians 3, 1, 2, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth. So every day that we wake up, everything that we do, we should constantly have our minds focused on Christ. Not how am I going to make more money? Not how am I going to get a better job? Not how am I going to get this? How am I going to get that? It's how can I do the work of God? How can I be on mission? How can I be aligned with the will of the Father who Jesus was aligned with, which, who the Holy Spirit is aligned with? How can I do that with my life? And sometimes that's going to take you in some unique directions that you didn't plan on. But again, it's not about you and I. It's about Christ getting the glory. It's about Christ's name and his truth reaching the ends of the earth in our own life. There's a huge difference when I do memorials for believers versus non-believers. Huge difference. And it pains me. Every time I come up here and I preach the gospel, it's a pain. But at the same time, it's a beautiful thing because people's hearts are open, right? Their minds are thinking about eternal life, like what's going to happen. And so we preach the gospel during memorial services. But when you have a believer that's there, then it's a much sweeter thing because believers in the room can all agree and be united with, hey, guess what? If they had the opportunity to come back, they ain't coming back here, right? They'll say, hey, I'll see you when you get here. I even had somebody ask me at one point in time, do you you think, you know, my loved one is thinking about me? And I said, no, why would, no. I didn't want to be mean, but the, the honest part is, he, he or she is focused on God's glory, right? They're being able to see Jesus's glory fully revealed to them. They ain't worried about us. They're saying, well, we'll see you when you get here. But they're, 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 they're locked in and focused on Jesus and his glory and being able to dwell with him. That's how great his glory is. They ain't even thinking about this. The people that they love during their time here, not thinking about it. Jesus's glory is taking up all of that attention and more. And we'll all get to See that, Lord willing, one day if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we need to be praying for believers to constantly focus on that goodness, constantly focus on God's glory that is seated up above, that is up in the heavenlies, right? As opposed to getting, getting mixed up with all the stuff that's going on here. Because guess what? There will be tribulations before we enter the kingdom. All of that stuff will happen. But guess what? Jesus is victorious and one day we will see his full glory. And that's what we need to be focused on. All these things that I just mentioned, those six things, five specifically about others, you can easily pray for yourself. I get get it. You can pray for yourself on all of these things, and you should. You should. But the point of this is what Jesus did is praying for others. Remember, 21 verses out of his high priestly prayer, out of the, the prayer before he was about to get betrayed, out of the prayer before he was about to go to the cross. He wasn't praying a pity party. He was praying for his followers, praying for other people. So I want to ask you this, how much are you praying for others? Think about your prayer life. Think about your last prayer. 
was it focused on others or was it 100% you? Because we have a responsibility to be praying for all the saints. How's your small group prayer health? Right, we all start small groups every, every semester. I, I was right there as a leader. You start that, 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 that prayer list, and you're like, all right, we're going to echo this year. I mean, last year we did prayer made. That didn't work. We're going to echo. All right, next, this year we're going pen and paper. We're going to switch it. We're going to make this thing work. It doesn't matter what you use. It doesn't matter what you use. You have to be disciplined to be praying for others. You have to put others before yourself to pray for others. you got to get involved with other men's life to be praying for others. How healthy is your small group prayer life? Do you guys talk? Do you guys communicate throughout the week? Do you update your prayers? Or some of you have the same prayer request for the last four months because you haven't updated it. Right? We need to be praying for one another, praying for your small group. Here's another thing. How often are you praying proactively? Right, because it's easy to pray when somebody's in urgent need, right? I, I got this going on. I got a job interview or, you know, I just got fired from my job or, um, you know, what? I, financially I'm having issues. Yeah, we, we, we pray. We're supposed to do that. That is a great thing. But Spurgeon had a quote that was awesome. He said, he said this when, it was, when he was talking about just resorting to praying for sick people or reactive prayers. And he said those are necessary. But when a man is upstairs in bed and cannot do any hurt, you pray for him. But when he's downstairs, he's not sick, he's active, he's moving around and can do no end of mischief, you do not pray for him. Is that wise and prudent? Again, when people are sick, when they're quote unquote on the shelf a little bit, when they're out of pocket, then we pray for them fervently. But we need to be praying for one another when we're not sick, when we're running, running wild, when we're 100% healthy. That's where we can get ourselves in trouble. All right, we need to be praying for brothers in Christ when they're healthy, proactively. So that requires getting to know the people within your group, getting to know what's going on in their life and asking them some of these questions that we're talking about now. See, Jesus didn't need an organized prayer list, right? He didn't need echo or prayer made or anything like that. He didn't need any of that stuff because he knew it all already, right? He, he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were going through. He knew all of that. You and I don't know all of that. We need to ask questions. We need to follow up. We need to be diligent. It takes effort and work to have a healthy prayer life with others involved in it as much as Jesus prays for others. Carl Samt is uh, the CEO of 24-Hour Fitness, and when I was working there, he was a COO, but he was brought in to be groomed to be the next CEO, and uh, there was a time when I was at our Carlsbad office, and I got a call from his assistant that said, hey, we need you to take Carl from Carlsbad up to Ontario, about an hour and a half, depending on traffic. So it was an opportunity where I got to sit in the car with our future CEO, um, and so you better believe I got my car clean. I got a detail. I got a wax job on there. Tires were shiny, all of that stuff, right? I had, it was almost like I was going through an interview. I got, I had questions about things that he cared about at the moment, things that were going on in the company, things that were on his radar, things that, that he was focused on. I had all of that. I researched all of that, had all of that lined up because I knew this guy had the ability to make or break a lot that was going on in my career. And as you all know, I was trying to climb the corporate ladder. So here's what I'm doing. I'm researching. I'm trying to do everything that I can to, to, to line up a good conversation with him. So he walks away saying, you know what? That guy's solid, right? He does his homework. He knows what's going on. 
Right? And he even tailors conversations that, that, that I want to have. Right? He's a CEO. He can make some things happen. But I just wonder, in conversations that you and I get to have every day with the CEO of the universe, the CEO of the universe, I call him chief eternal officer. We get to have a conversation with him every day. How much are you preparing for that conversation? How much are you studying his words? How much are you reading the prayers that God has given us within his words to pray to him? How much are you doing there? Or are you just praying half-heartedly because, you know, you, we, we take it for granted? We get an opportunity to communicate with the CEO of the universe every single day, all throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. He wants to hear from us. We need to prepare like we're talking to the CEO of the universe in our prayer life, right? And that's through God's word. And that's understanding what he wants us to pray about, knowing what pleases him, and knowing the way that he told us to pray and knowing how he answers prayers. So let's work hard knowing how a great model that we have of Jesus's prayer life to the Father, you and I can model that in our own prayer life and have a prayer life that is full and pleasing to God. Pray with me. God, thank you for this prayer from Jesus to the Father that we get to read and even see our own self in this. See that you prayed for us, Jesus, while you were here. Thank you for that, Lord. We need that. And Lord, you didn't just stop there. You are interceding for us now, as Hebrews 7.25 tells us. We thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray that as we read through this, that we wouldn't just read through it quick, quickly and just glance at it, but we would look at the words, look at the model of your prayer, and we would build a foundation of our own prayer life based on the way you've prayed in your word that we get to read. So thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for all that you did, uh, the completed work that you did, you sent Jesus to do on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for that, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.